It seemed like a good idea at the time. Three days in ultimate seclusion. The flakes that started to fall on your way were hardly worth notice. But now the polar vortex is locked over Canada and, as the drifts creep up to the windows, you feel foolish being miles and miles from any neighbor or route plowed by a road commission. The generator ran out of gas yesterday. But there's plenty of lamp oil and wood for the stove. Surprisingly, your call for help was met with something like joy. An acquaintance has a snowmobile with enough gas for a one-way trip. They're bringing people, food, supplies, beverages, and, if they heard your plea as the last milliamp slipped from your phone, games. That's right, soon you'll be gamers stuck in Snowmageddon. Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon is a discussion with Northwest Michigan residents about life, the pursuit of happiness, and the four tabletop games they'd like to get stuck with in a fictitious snowpocalypse. I'm your host, Jim Maratsky, and today we're joined by Kate Hominga. Kate, welcome to Snowmageddon. Thanks for having me. So, how difficult was it for you to choose the four games that you've chosen, and what criteria did you use? It was actually really, really hard for me. I spent... After you asked me about coming on the podcast, I thought, oh, this will be easy. And I just popped off like four games right away. And then I thought about it and like, do I really want to play those games if I'm stuck somewhere for five or six days? No, I really don't. So then I had to go back and revise my list. And what I decided on was replayability. So I wanted things that if I play it again, it's not going to be the same game every single time that the outcome's not going to be the same, the play's not going to be the same and things like that. So replayability was my main focus. That sounds good. Are you someone that this scenario would apply to? Would you ever find yourself out in the middle of nowhere? No, (laughs) I am very much a city girl. So if I am stuck in a cabin somewhere in the woods, I've probably been kidnapped. So (laughs) You'll need to come This is not something me. you do by choice. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. So your first game is one that comes here very frequently, and that is a 2016 design by Jacob Frixelius and published in the U.S. by Stronghold Games, and that's Terraforming Mars. Why do you hope Terraforming Mars comes along? Well, hopefully it's my copy of Terraforming Mars because we've got all but one of the expansions. So we've got a lot of cards, a lot of corporation cards, a lot of... Um, We've got the extra board that goes along with it. So we have three board options, um, plus all of the different resources and things like that. But I like it because, like I said, it's got great replayability. So you're going to be dealt two different corporation cards every time. And those corporation cards and the 10 cards that you're dealt in your initial hand kind of set your initial structure for the game. I mean, it does change based on what cards you get in drafting, but it's never the same. Even if you have the same corporation, it's never the same. So what? how challenging is Terraforming Mars, do you think, compared to other games that you like to play? What What is your brain doing while you're playing it? Generally, when I'm playing, I'm trying to think two or three moves ahead um, so that I can maximize it because it is pretty much an engine-building game. So you want to get it so that you're not wasting any of your two actions on your turn so that you can get free stuff, get more money so that you can do more actions. So generally playing the game, I've probably already got the next four or five moves planned out. Um, And then I'm trying to think, okay, well, 
I really, if I get this card, then I can do this and this and this and things will snowball from there. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit. What, what drew you to games in the first place? And where were you when that happened? So I grew up as a military brat and my parents played board games with their friends. So I had always seen board games growing up. Uh, so they played different. I don't even know if they're in production anymore. Things like diplomacy and supremacy and things like that. Um, and then I just kind of, it went by the wayside as I became an adult. And then when I met my husband, Eric, he was really into board games. And so we started playing things and I'm still to this day, not sure if the very first game of Catan we played, if I actually won by my own efforts or if he let me win because he was trying to impress me, but, um, it's, Cheap entertainment. The initial investment can be high depending on the game and the resources and things that you buy for it. But every time you play it, it gets cheaper and cheaper. So, I mean, at some point it becomes free. Yep. It's uh, an investment that keeps paying back, I guess. Yeah. Depends on how much bling you want in your game as yeah. well. So. <laughs> what, uh, what brought you to Traverse City? My husband. I, was, I met him when I was in Virginia. And Abby was up here with her father, so I moved to where my kid was because I needed to be close to my kid. So you said you were an army brat and moved around quite a bit. What Was there a favorite place that, that you were at at that time, and how does that compare to being here in Michigan now? I loved Germany. Um, I went to Germany twice, once as a child and once as an adult, and my daughter Abby was born in Germany um, they always say that you come home with Germany from Germany with a cuckoo clock, a shrunk, or a baby. Well, I actually came home with a cuckoo clock and the baby, so <laughs> she's my souvenir. Um, but I would move back to Germany or just Europe in general in a heartbeat. I just love um, the cities over there and the food and the history, and there's just so much to do. Your second game um, is billed as a psychological survival game. I've not played this, but it, it sounds interesting. It's a 2014 release designed by Jonathan Gilmore and Isaac Vega and published by Plaid Hat Games, and that's Dead of Winter. Why would you like to have this one along? So generally as a rule, I'm not a big fan of co-op games, but for whatever reason, Dead of Winter just struck something the first time I played it. And I think because even though you're trying to solve the problem and get rid of the zombies together, you still have a secret objective and somebody in your group might be the betrayer. Generally, Eric, <laughs> it just works out that way. Sorry, hon. <laughs> um, but again, based on the cards that you get, it's never the same because you have different objectives that you're trying to meet. You have the main objective and then you have like a crisis so it might be that your main objective is is you need to get rid of zombies in certain areas and have things set up to get them, keep them from coming in. But then you have this crisis where you have to have like five fuel. And so then you're trying to get fuel and going to these different locations and trying to collect the fuel. And then you're hoping everybody is contributing, but somebody might not and you never know. So it's definitely a thing is, is it going to happen? Isn't going to happen? Who knows? So there's just that edge a lot of times of what's going to happen. So this is 
uh, has a crossroads mechanic that was pretty celebrated among designers as an innovation. And I'm wondering if you could describe how that works in the game. So with the crossroad cards, the player to your right reads them. And sometimes what who you're playing or an event or what your character does will trigger the crossroads. And then it forces you to make a decision. And sometimes it's a decision that only you can make. And sometimes it's a decision that everyone in the group who's playing has to make. So depending on what your crisis is, what your objective is, what level your morale is at, you may decide, okay, yeah, we're going to do this and we'll go after and try and get this thing. Or, you know what, we're doing okay. We don't really need to get this. So we'll just lose the morale. So there's a little bit of an ethical thing in there too. Okay, do we save this person? Do we add another helpless survivor, which means another mouth to feed and more food? And But it's fun. So what's psychological about this game that is in that description? I think it's mostly a who is the betrayer because there's not always going to be a tr- betrayer, even if you put one into the mix because everyone draws their own secret objective card. So when somebody plays something and you're like, wait a minute, that's not how I think this is supposed to go. I think you're trying to mess with us. So then you have to sit there and figure out, are they really working with us? Or are they just after their own thing and they're just going to screw all the rest of us on the last turn, on the last move, which has happened. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That sounds like fun. So you write well and frequently contribute to a series called The Place at the Table on the Traverse City Board Gamers blog. That's where I've read your writing anyway. Um, what, What got you interested in writing? Um, I've always loved writing in books. Um, I have a bachelor's in English that I got in 2017 from Texas A&M University Systems. Um, But Kyle approached me about it and asked if I wanted to write for the website. And I thought, oh, that'll be fun. It'll give me something to do when I'm not chasing around children and (laughs) keeping them from killing each other and climbing on tables. Um, So then deciding to write it, I realized I needed a name for it. And there are other people in the group who write for the website, although they haven't written recently, I don't think. So the name became very important for me. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be just, you know, something about Kate or a nerdy mom. Um, So I wanted something that would kind of encompass all areas of my life. And as I sat down to think about it, I realized that the table plays a very big part of my life. It's where I homeschool my kids. It's where we eat dinner. It's where we play board games. It's where all of my cake decorating and stuff happens. So a place at the table came about because for me, board gaming is very social. And I always want somebody to have a place at the table to come sit, talk to me, play a board game, have dinner or something like that. So that's how a place at the table came about. So what are your topic boundaries for for that? Where How do you pick what to write about I just whatever strikes my fancy that day when I have time to write Um, I've written posts about you know kind of what to expect your first time if you go to a board game um, some basic board game etiquette things like you know don't bend the cards and if somebody spills a drink then everybody saves the game Um, I've written about women in board gaming kind of a basic glossary of terms just whatever strikes my fancy that day. 
Well, keep it up. That's good. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned cake decorating, and from what I've seen, you're a pretty fearless baker, uh, taking on some challenging projects. What got you started with baking? What, what do you enjoy about it? When I was a kid, we would go to craft stores, and I would always see the Wilton decorating classes, and I always thought, oh, that would be so much fun to, to take and do because my mom always made our birthday cakes growing up, and it was whatever we wanted she would do. And so I think in 2015, I finally was able to take it. And so I took the classes. I took all four of the classes. I became certified to teach the Wilton method. And then I became the baker for all of our family events and family birthdays. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, I usually make all the birthday cakes for our cousin's kids. So those are the ones where she'll just ask me and be like, okay, here's the theme. Just do whatever. Google and use my imagination and come up with something so what's the craziest theme you've had to deal with um it was probably for our cousin's son's second birthday he had a lumberjack theme so i made a tree stump cake but the inside was buffalo plaid so that involved a lot of like compasses and cutting out circles and layering things correctly um there was bark on the outside of the tree and little meringue mushrooms and fudge pine cones I attempted moss, but the moss did not come out well and look like something illegal. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it sounds like you're pretty advanced. Are, is there any goals or targets that you have in the future to uh, accomplish with that? No, I thought about it for a while, and then I realized that I don't necessarily have to monotonize a hobby because I think once you do that, it no longer becomes fun. So for me, it's just something fun. And creative to do. Your third game uh, started as a card-driven dungeon crawl with its tongue firmly planted in its cheek. It first came out in 2001. It was designed and published by Steve Jackson, one of my favorite designers. I haven't played this, though, so why do you want to bring along Munchkin? Again, uh, it was one of those replayability. We have a couple of the expansions in our Munchkin set, and when I first played it, I hated it. I thought, oh, this is horrible. Why am I playing this game? Everyone is ganging up on me. I mean, they're throwing all these things down on these monsters and making it hard for me to beat. And I think, I don't know, probably 20 minutes into the game, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I just, I quit. I'm not doing it. Just <laughs> kill my character and let's be done with it. But I did give it another chance later. I think after watching it, I think Will Wheaton did a tabletop on it. And I think I watched it and thought, okay, yeah, I might be able to do this. Let me give it another shot. Uh, usually I can squeak by because everyone picks on my husband. So I try not to because everyone else does. But I can usually squeak by and get up to level seven or eight before anyone realizes, oh, hey, we need to mess with her and things like that. So there's themes on this from everything from Cthulhu to Shakespeare to Oz. Is there a favorite version that you like or is it just the base game that you like to play the most we pretty much have the base game and the base expansions um i wouldn't mind getting some of the other expansions but it doesn't see the the, the table as much as our house now because we have all these other games and because we have the little kids so they want to be up and involved and they're messing with the cards and things like that 
So Munchkin was designed as a parody of role-playing games. Have you ever played role-playing games? I have not. Um, when I was in college, they were starting to really get a rise in like West Texas. Um, but I didn't, that really wasn't the crowd that I ran with. So I really didn't see much. And now I'm still not really a role-playing kind of person. So you homeschool your youngest children. Um, what are the challenges and benefits of taking that on? Eventually, we would like to move overseas. So the big thing about that was we wanted to try and keep them on par with other countries' education levels because, I mean, you kind of have to face it. <laughs> the United States is just not <laughs> up there as far as, like, Finland and Iceland and things, other countries in Europe. So that was the number one um, and also safety, and I'm not a big fan of standardized tests. And I like that I can tailor things to their interests. Like Doug is really into dinosaurs. So we can do dinosaur crafts and count dinosaur eggs for math and figure something out for dinosaur science. So I really like that we can tailor it to them and their levels and what they want. So that sounds like a full-time job. It is. We do some online school for him just so that we can make sure he's meeting the standards and getting everything that the state requires, which actually isn't a lot. Michigan is one of the easier states to homeschool in. So we have that just for the basics, and then I just expand upon it. Can games ever play a role in your homeschooling? They do. Um, One of the things I really like about games is that there's so many different things that you can use um you know even Candyland, which all kids love and all parents come to hate (laughs) it's just one of those facts of life parents hate Candyland, but that teaches you know color recognition and basic counting and hand-eye coordination and then as you move into um, doug is five now so he's starting to really get into more games so we're starting to get him some games But they do things, um, you know, vocabulary. So as he's starting to read and he's starting to sound out some of these things on the cards, and it just helps as a a family connection and a family bond too. So we're going to take a little detour here because uh, normally we just stick to the four games, but you picked some games that you'd like to have along for the the little kids as well. Uh, And so the, the first of these is a, 2016 release designed by Alan R. Moon and published by Days of Wonder. And it's a slightly scaled down version of their famous hit. It's called Ticket to Ride, First Journey. Uh, What do you and your kids like about this? So ever since Doug was probably 18 months old, he always wanted to be up at the table playing with us. And then as the Ticket to Ride tournament came about with the board gamers and we would practice and we would play it out and Doug would get all excited. Train game, train game. I'm going to play trains. And we would let him play with some of the extra trains. So it was always, you know, I thought he could play it as long as he had pictures on it because he's a smart little dude. So when we found Ticket to Ride My First Journey and they have pictures on it in addition to the words. So he finally gets to play the train game that all the grownups and his big sister have been playing for years. Um, He plays it with his cards out so we can still kind of help him because he's still working on strategy, but it plays pretty much just like the original game. 
except you don't pick your own tickets. When you complete a ticket, you get a new ticket automatically, and you only have to get six tickets to win. So there's no points. Um, So it's nice because he can get it. That sounds great. Um, Another game that you thought would be good for for younger folks is very similar in play style with its more grown-up predecessor, but the strategies are a little less complicated, at least from what I could see. I haven't played this, but it's a 2009 release designed by Marco Teubner and published by Z-Man Games, and this is my first Carcassonne. What's up with that? So, again, another one that Doug had watched us play for years, and it is. It's essentially the same. You pick up tiles, you place them, but with my first Carcassonne, all of the roads connect, and there's little kids in different colors on the roads. So as soon as you complete a road that has your color on it, you put one of your people down on the colored spots on the board. So, and that's how you score your points. And as soon as you get all of your little meeples out on the board, you win. But it's nice because it helps him think about, okay, well, if I play this one here, it'll end a road and I'll get some points, but, oh no, mom's going to get some points here too. Whereas if I put it here, then... You know, I'm only going to get points for myself and this color that's not in the game. So he's starting to learn that. That sounds more my speed. I could handle that. So that sounds, I'll have to try that. Uh, And then the last game that you picked uh, for the little ones is, sounds pretty complicated to me, but you said cribbage, the card game. Uh, Is that really something that kids can learn and, and how do you teach it and It is because really you only have to be able to count to 15. So that's one of those educational math type games. And as long as you've got the cribbage board and deck of cards, then you can expand upon that with other card games of Go Fish and things like that. So um, Doug actually wants to learn cribbage because we talked about it recently. So that's kind of why that was (laughs) on my brain. Um, But it kind of teaches you to add up to 15 in different combinations so, I don't know, maybe teaching him cribbage will allow him to play euchre when he gets older because that's something I can't play. I'm not a native Michigander. Euchre is not my thing. <laughs> you can, I'll teach you euchre if you'll teach me cribbage, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so when, once you get kids going, uh, Doug's age or all that, do you have to be along to referee and keep them engaged, or can kids that age play on their own? Doug is pretty good about playing on his own. We do have a three-year-old Windsor, and she does like to antagonize him, so I do still have to play referee a lot of the day. But there are times where they'll play together, which is nice. <laughs> so your last game for adults is uh, has transparent cards, and it's used to further the goal of lowering each game character's self-worth. Uh, so I'm kind of curious about this 2005 release designed by Keith Baker and published by Atlas Games. Uh, why would you like to have this kind of game along? So Gloom is, so this was the first game that I bought once I really started playing board games. And again, it was, I'd watched Will Wheaton on tabletop doing it, which we love Will Wheaton at our house. He plays board games. He's on Star Trek. He's just we love them in our house and so I thought oh that's kind of cool because I like words and I like stories 
And it's just kind of the antithesis of everything that people think about with board games. And here it is, you're trying to lower everyone's, you know, your own score so you can kill these people off in this story. (laughs) And the funny thing about this story is this game is that it comes in a fairly small box, so it's easy to transport. And I was actually in the hospital in labor with Doug, and we brought this along because we knew I was being induced. I was going to need something to do to entertain myself, and you can only watch so many hours of Say Yes to the Dress on the hospital TV. (laughs) So we pulled out gloom. So here we are, you know, this happy moment in our life. We're having a baby and we're playing this game. And I'm like, oh, so-and-so fell into the pond and she drowned. And, you know, she sat on the goldfish and now the goldfish is is dead as well. So here she gets negative five self-worth points. And the nurses come in to check me and here we are, you know, killing these people in this game. And they're like, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to step out and come back later. <laughs> Sounds like a good way to pass the time. What, what do you, what would you like to see next for tabletop gaming for, and in, in what you like to do with it? I think I would like to see, I think more games focused towards homeschooling activities. I know Kyle has some like cytosis and science and photosynthesis and things like that. So I think that games like that where you can kind of teach a concept and teach a subject to kids and they have them obviously but i think i'd like to see more at like elementary school age so my last formal question for you is uh the snowmobile had to cross a river on its way and as it hit the far bank three of your games bounced out into the river and were washed downstream so as you unpack which of those games of the four games that you picked, would you like to make sure is still there? I'd really want Terraforming Mars to be in there just because we've invested a lot in that one with the expansions and the broken token uh, organizer. So that's the one that needs to still be in the box. Okay. Well, that's a good choice. I think a lot of folks would be with you on that one. So good, good, good choice. Um, Kate, thank you so much for being here. On, on Gamer Stuck in Snowmageddon. Really appreciate you doing that. Thanks. It was fun. Well, that's it for this episode of Gamer Stuck in Snowmageddon. Thanks again to Kate for being a good sport. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Traverse Area Community Media in Traverse City, which are available to everyone. Find out more at tacm.tv. This nice music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was sponsored by Archipelago Creative LLC, publishers of Mackinac Island Treasure Hunt Card and Board Games at MackinawTreasure.com. Look for more episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm slash game and snow or in your favorite podcast app. If you have comments about this show or want to suggest or be a guest, please email me at gameandsnow at gmail.com. I'm Jim Moratsky. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.